morning, good morning everybody. Um, today we are coming from Montreal with myself and uh, Marie-Pierre because our esteemed leader is uh, swanning it down in Orlando taking a break. So uh, she has left it for us to do, which is great because um, usually I would say that means we're to time, but here we are, 8.04 this morning. Uh, and we're running late and we can't even blame Maria. So um, welcome to you to our podcast. We are looking at the book Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. And I have to say that uh, this chapter that we are talking about this morning, I believe I'm living it. I'm in the middle of it. I, I span generations and you'll see what I mean when I start to talk about it. The, the title of the chapter, which is chapter 24, is The Abstract Generation. And then the subtitle is The Biggest Losers, which is not really an inspiring opening. But, you know, we all know, because we've been talking about it for a few days now, for a, a few weeks, in fact, that to have a balanced life, we need a dose of the happy chemicals and we need a balance of them. Um, so we need the dopamine, the oxytocin, the serotonin and endorphin. And we discovered in the last few chapters that unfortunately the society that we live in now is very dopamine driven. It's driven to get the fix of dopamine that people have become more self-centered, they want to feel that we're great, that we're popular, that we're on top of our game. And this need for dopamine has spilled over into other aspects of our lives. That is what I will be developing in this chapter. Then Marie-Pierre will be giving you some factual information about different aspects of our behavior. So in his book, Leaders Eat Last, Sinek takes a look, uh, talks a lot about the different generations. So um, I thought you might appreciate knowing what those different generations are because it helped me to clarify in my mind what generation he was talking about. So we already defined that the boomers is 1946 to 1965. That means you're born in that time. The X generation is 1965 to 1980, and the Y generation is 1980 to 2000. That generation is also called the millennials, and the Z generation is 2000 onwards. Now, what this obviously uh, highlighted to me was that I'm slap bang there at the end of the boomers. I was born in 1959, and that my children all fit into the Y generation, 1980 to 2000, as does Marie-Pierre, she reminded me of course, that she's a Y generation person. So he starts the chapter basically telling us that our parents and our parents' parents messed up. Right? They did it with the best intentions, but they basically messed up. They just created what we are stuck with now. And that in the greatest generation, which was pre-1945, they raised their children 
um, as boomers. They wanted to give them a stress-free, a no-hardship environment. They unfortunately became a generation of me-thinkers. Um, they had an abundance of wealth and an attitude of cynicism towards the government. So if you think about the combination of those two things, that they had an abundance of wealth and they were cynical towards the government, that sort of doesn't really bode well for the total environment. The greatest generation, they had very little resources and they had an attitude of conformity. So they would use their little resources together. They were in a big circle of security. They had the war going on. They had, you know, the depression going on and everything they did brought them together as a nation. So everybody had this amazing sense of belonging. The boomers, by uh, contrast, they had great resources. Everything was booming in the financial world, but they had an attitude of non-conformity. They wanted to look for loopholes when paying their taxes, or they wanted to have a reduced responsibility towards society. They just wanted to live in society and get the most out of society. So the boomers then raised their children and you can imagine that they raised their children thinking you can have anything you want in life, right? That was the attitude. I remember, you know, uh, when my children were little even, that there was so much talk about everybody can achieve what they want in life. Like it's available to you, you know, and, and, and you can have it. The Gen Xers, um, they were around before internet. And I believe that although I'm officially a, a boomer, I believe that I actually conform more with the Gen Xers because I was right at the end of the boomers. And the Gen Xers, um, they were around before internet, you know, you and what our or what the philosophy was at that time was you can get what you want in life but you have to work for it you have to get your head down and get on with it it was not a rebellious generation they we grew up in the 70s and 80s and had good lives i had a great life i had no stresses in my life apart from what's going on in my own home um, but in terms of the generation, it was, it was a great time to be alive. That there was, I think what I would describe the uh, gener X's from a personal perspective is that it was simple. There was a simplicity to life. It wasn't confused with the internet or cell phones. I mean, we had the good old telephone that you could just, you know, only call your friends. And if you had a few, you know, if you had a gadget like speed dial, wow, you really had, had arrived. So it was simple. There were no huge distractions apart from what we were doing ourselves. The Gen Wires, they grew up in a world that was totally different. They were often, um, they were often described or are often described as being an entitled generation. Um, and maybe some are, 
but I believe that probably it's not so much that they're entitled, it's just that they're impatient. Um, they see, for example, he describes in his book how a Gen Y uh, wire will be sitting at the top, uh, at the bottom of a mountain, see the top of the mountain. They know where they want to go. They know that they're definitely going to get there. But the thing is, they want to get there as fast as possible. So maybe in the process, they don't actually see the mountain. They just see the result of where they want to be. And uh, they are always coming up, which is fantastic, with new and innovative ways to get where they want to faster than any of us could ever imagined. So unfortunately, though, the mountain is always there. You still have to climb it. And they grew up in an environment where money is overvalued. It is more important than service to the community. And that technology is used to manage relationships. In their world, numbers have become more important than people. And we have already seen that that can create environments where people don't feel safe. They're always worried that they are not going to be protected. So I just want to uh, read for you uh, a paragraph from the book. So imagine you are sitting on a plane flying at 35,000 feet and 520 miles per hour from New York to Seattle. It's a calm flight. There's no turbulence. It's a clear day and the captain predicts that the whole flight will be a smooth one. Both the captain and the co-pilot are seasoned pilots with many, many years of experience. And the aircraft is equipped with the most modern avionics and warning systems. As required by the FAA, both pilots fly the airline sim simulator a few times a year to practice dealing with various emergencies. A hundred miles away, in a dark room in a building with no windows sits an air traffic controller with 10 years experience looking down a scope monitoring all the air traffic in his assigned sector. Your flight is currently in his sector. Now imagine that the controller has his cell phone next to him. He's not allowed to make calls while he's on duty but he can send and receive text messages or access his email. Imagine that he can relay coordinates to a flight, check his messages, relay coordinates to another flight, check his phone again. Seems fair, right? As plain as the nose is on my face, I am confident that the vast majority of us would not be very comfortable with this scenario. We would prefer that the air traffic controller check his email or send his text messages during his breaks. I think we would all feel much better if access to the internet and a personal cell phone were completely forbidden, which they are. So I was glad to read that little bit. But, you know, as I was reading it last night, I was cringing, thinking, what? He's checking his text messages as he sends out coordinates. And of course, you know, that puts fear in us because why? Our lives are at stake. So why would we think that um, our distractions are any the less important? 
Like, why would we think that it's okay to be in the middle of a meeting and then you get a buzz on your phone and you're like looking at, and all thoughts of a meeting is lost. And I mean, when we're in a virtual situation, as we are now, we can see when people are doing that. And I would say that probably 70% of the people who are on a Zoom are doing something else, right? They just, it's, it's, it's hard to just sit and watch the screen when your phone's buzzing and you know you've got to make your shopping list. And anyway, so we are in a world of distraction. So my question to all of you is, do you keep your phone by your bedside? I do not. I do not keep my phone. But the generation Y, yeah, she keeps her phone by her bedside, right? Um, when you're driving, do you have your phone turned off? Or do you allow it to buzz? Mine's turned off. Hers is buzzing, right? Because it's a different world. What happens when it makes a noise? Don't you want to look at it and see who wants you? Because basically, that's what those distractions are doing. They're drawing you in to say, you're important. You need to look at this. Somebody wants you. In fact, sometimes if you're in a group chat, and it happened to me last night when Marie-Pierre and I were working, um, and it keeps pinging, you become totally distracted and you say to yourself, wow, something really good must be happening because there's so many messages going on in that group. But the reality is, it's probably just a whole load of nothing again, people saying the same thing a different way. So Gen Y, because they've grown up with so much techno technology, they believe they're really good multitaskers. Not true. It's an over-stimulated um, generation. There is a huge increase by 66% um, between 2000 and 2010 of ADHD. But probably the reality is it's not so much ADHD, but a distracted generation. They are distracted by things easily. It's an addiction to distraction. Now, we heard before the effects of alcohol on young people that they can grow up to be alcoholics. Well, the dopamine fix from technology can also be addictive. It can make us look at our phones while we're driving, even though we know it's unsafe. Boomers get their dopamine fix from goals oriented around bigger and more. Gen, Gen Yers get their dopamine fixes from faster, and now. Technology is making them impatient. A side effect of this is they are struggling to find fulfillment and happiness. They know what they want, they want it fast, and they don't understand the need for the journey. They want to do good in the world, but again, they want to do it fast. They don't, they contribute to things, wearing t-shirts perhaps, because they bought them, but they don't actually do anything. They, they have symbolic gestures rather than committed gestures. Um, and it's, they'll, they will tell you, it's all about awareness. I'm trying to promote the awareness of this problem. 
and they're not building houses for habitat for humanity or cleaning the waterways they're just paying to wear the t-shirt there's no serotonin fix only a dopamine fix and you know i know that the serotonin fix is so good when you get it like when you rescue a dog okay i mean i could wear a t-shirt that says don't don't allow dogs to go on the street we need to keep them safe but if i'm not willing to actually take a dog to my house to look after it until the owner comes i only get the dopamine thing i don't get the serotonin as well one key problem is that um this dopamine driven society is creating unfortunately a sense of isolation in previous generations we had a sense of belonging okay i don't want there to be a war for us to have a sense of belonging but there was a sense of belonging because everybody was involved in it um you know they had a circle of safety in the 60s in the beginning of the uh, gen x's we had you know um, marches and actions against um, the government and what have you there was a sense of belonging to a nation that was making things change it was making a difference but i believe the circle of safety has disappeared from society it's each man for themselves now the school shootings have, have been on a rise they have gone from one in the 1960s to 102 in the 2000s now this book was written before covid and in the book he talks a lot about how virtual relationships are not real how you can't have virtual relationships and i used to argue with my gen y uh, gen wire violet because she used to spend like 80 percent of her time online and I had many, they're not real people, Violet. She would say, yes, they are, mum. And I'd say, no, they're not real people. You haven't got a real relationship. You can't touch them or feel them. And, you know, and she would say, I don't want to touch or feel them. And so it was, it was like a never ending battle. But what she taught me was that when COVID came along, I didn't need to be scared because she had real relationships. I just didn't appreciate them. And one of the things that we have learned during COVID is that you can build up a community. She had built up a community. She had a community of people who were watching her online gaming. She knew about their parents. She knew that many of them like her as transgenders were um, not having such a good life. She was able to provide them a circle of safety. I didn't really appreciate that at the time, but now I know that she was doing something that was excellent and that we at Le Diermont have tried to continue that. We've tried to give a sense of belonging to people in the virtual world. Unfortunately, that virtual world extends out where people are not given that sense. In fact, people are bullied on virtual relationships. And 
what the the way that we came together, the sense of belonging to Lady Irma, the sense that we could rally together to make sure everybody was looked after, even though we weren't actually in the same place as each other. That gives me hope. That gives me hope that there's a way to work through this to make the technology we have work for us in a better way. So as with everything in life, there has to be a balance. You have to have all the chemicals. And so sure, now we want to have the relationships with people that we've built virtually, but I believe that is definitely possible. So over to you, Mary Pierre. Thank you, Melanie. So yes, I really love your part with all those things. And when you talk about the air traffic controller that is looking at his phone, of course, there's many other um, uh, worker that you don't want them to look at their phone. So yesterday we talked about the doctor and the uh, um, advocate and everyone that is related to our health. We don't want them but something that i know that is something that i didn't think about it but you can delegate looking at your phone <laughs> because the doctor yes they keep their phone because if there's an emergency they need to know it that fast but he's not the one looking at it he has someone looking for him in the room so it's something that yes we can delegate so we don't have those ping, 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 that <laughs> distract us. And yes, of course, Melanie, I always have my phone, always, always, always. <laughs> but what I learned is that if you can turn off all the noises, now you see there's something, but if you, you are really focused on something, it's really some, uh, it really helped to get your focus because yes it's so easy to get on focus with all those noises with our phone so yes you talk about the, the type of relationship and i really love the example with your daughter that she said for many years yes i have a real community with those people but when you don't create it yourself you cannot understand it and yes with covid we really understand that it's something that we can create this uh, safety uh, circle that we can have with our team just like we can do it uh, uh, in real life so yes we talk about it uh, uh, in the past week that we want to make sure to see people <laughs> in real sometime but we can do it virtually too because we don't have the choice it's really something that COVID brought us that we have to work virtually so there's 12 tips that I found for you to create that psychological safety in the virtual team if you want to have a high performance because trust is the glue to life of life it's a, a, a quote from a Stephen Covey is the most essential ingredient in effective communication and it's the foundation that holds all relationships. So trust is really the beginning of a relationship. So number one is to establish clear ground rules. So before starting a virtual team, it's important to establish some ground rules and this will help to ensure that everyone is on the same page and know what is expected of them. Number two, is to encourage open communication. 
So one of the best ways to create a psychological safety in a virtual team is by encouraging open communication. This means sharing your thoughts and feelings openly and honestly and listening to others without judgment. So team members who will feel comfortable communicating with one another are more likely to take risks and share innovative ideas. Number three is to encourage empathy amongst team members. So it's important for a virtual team to be empathetic towards one another. So encourage your team member to put themselves in the shoes of others so they can understand how their action may affect people around them. Number four is to avoid judgmental language. So one of the quickest way to kill the psychological safety is by using a judgmental language. So this includes making assumptions, criticizing others, and using sarcasm. Virtually, you cannot do it. In real life, yes, there's some sarcasm that will people will understand because you can touch the other person to say ha 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 ha. But in virtual, you cannot use this because people will uh, take it differently. Number five is keep your emotion in check. So as a leader, it's important to keep your emotion in check. This means staying calm and rational when things get tough and not letting your personal feeling get in the way of making sound decisions. Number six, it's create opportunities for collaboration. Because virtual team needs to collaborate in order to get the work done. So make sure you create opportunity for them to do so. So this will include brainstorming session via video conference call, sending out regular updates so team members can stay in sync, or holding weekly check-in to discuss the progress. Number seven, it's build trust among members. So trust is essential for successful collaboration. So make sure you take the time to build it up among your team members. So this could involve sharing personal story, helping each other uh, each other out when needed, or simply being honest and upfront with one another. So the more trust you have among team members, the easier it will be to collaborate effectively. Number eight is don't be afraid to give feedback. So one of the best ways to help team members feel safe is by giving them constructive feedback. So this could include pointing out things they're doing well, as well as area where they could improve. So if you notice someone making a mistake or missing an important deadline, don't hesitate to let them know in private so that no one else hears about it firsthand. Number nine, it celebrates successes together. So it's important for virtual team to celebrate successes together, even if they're not physically present. So this could involve sending out a quick email or message congratulating everyone on a job well done or hosting a virtual happy hour to commemorate a major milestone. So whatever you do, make sure to mark the occasion and enjoy it as a team. Number 10 is don't be afraid to fail. So in order to achieve great things, you need to be willing to take risk. So this applies just as much to virtual team as it does in any other type of team. So don't be afraid to experiment and try new things. After all, you may not know what works until you actually try it out. So just make sure that everyone understands that failure is not a bad thing. It just means that we're learning. 
Number 11, it's be open and honest with one another. So it's important for virtual team to be open and honest with each other in order to foster trust between members. So this can include sharing personal story, helping out when needed, or simply be upfront about your feeling. And number 12 is take time to get to know each other. Just because team members are working remotely doesn't mean you can get to know them on a personal level. So in fact, it, it may be even more important to do so in order to build trust. This could involve hosting a virtual get together or maybe just sending out regular updates about your life. I think about, uh, about that on our VIP group that we always show us when we are doing something so people can really understand who you are so they can trust you so and when they trust you they will talk to you about their life too so if you can share your personal life they will share their personal life and trust can be built that way so i hope with those 12 steps it can really help you to understand how you can do it yes virtually because now Yes, we love to be in real life, but <laughs> we need to create that safety circle in our virtual team too, because it's something that will stay. We see it that a lot of people don't want to go back to work in the, um, the um, like in Montreal, they don't want to go in the traffic and everything. So <laughs> people want to stay remotely. So uh, we have to learn to create that, that circle of safety in our virtual team. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast this morning and tomorrow we'll continue with how we can build that leader uh, within us and to make sure that, yes, we can create this team that virtual or in real life, we can create this. So yes, today it was a little bit about the problem the abstract generation, but tomorrow we'll have the solution. <laughs> so have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow.